0: Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and of course, as always, a little bit of entertainment. Can you believe we are halfway through November already? It will be Christmas in a flash. There, I said it. The C word. Ah, I do love the festive vibes though. Wandering through the streets of Galway with the Christmas lights last week was lovely. I even managed to pick up a few Christmas presents. Normally, I am panic buying in the week or two before Christmas. So, hey, go me. On a complete side note, but on the topic of Christmas presents, we have a limited supply of Try Talking Sport bobble hats currently in stock, available in blue, grey, navy or pink for €15. If you wish to purchase a hat for yourself or as a gift for someone else, you can find them on the website on www.trytalkingsport.com. Now, I can confirm I have gone completely soft since my adventures in Portugal and Turkey. Yes, totally soft, barely braving the cool waters of Galway Bay twice a week. This time last year, I was getting into the sea every single day, brazenly embracing the cold water and thinking nothing of spending 10 to 15 minutes in the water. Now I shriek and say a few choice words as I tentatively walk into the water. I can just about manage five to seven minutes in the cold. Bearing in mind I signed up to the Walrus Open Water Swimming Challenge this winter, I have renamed it my Walwuss Challenge and it looks like unless I toughen up and put on my big girl's bathing suit that I will not complete the challenge at all this year. I guess like everything else it takes consistency. If I was getting into the water every day I would acclimatise once again to the cold water and be less of a Walwuss. Speaking of consistency, if you need some accountability to stay consistent with your fitness during the festive period, be sure to check out our 12 Days of Christmas Challenge running from the 1st to the 25th of December. The idea is that you complete 12 hours of physical activity throughout the period, ideally completing 30 minutes per day of your choice of activity. Some people complete the challenge over the course of a few days, but really the challenge is about making time for yourself on each day. You can choose how you complete it and when you do, you will be entered into the draw for a whole host of prizes from Santa's sleigh. Pop over to Try Talking Sport to sign up and get your colleagues, clubmates and friends signed up too. Did I tell you it was free to sign up? Go on, go on, go on. You never know what prize you might win to stick under the Christmas tree for 2021. Do also keep an eye on our Try Talking Sport social pages during December as the Christmas Cracker is back with prizes galore to be won across the month from stocking fillers to presents for under the Christmas tree. You'll be spoiled with the prizes up for grabs. If you wish to add a prize to the stash, then pop me an email to trytalkingsport at gmail.com. We're always happy to get an extra prize for the December Challenge and Christmas Cracker promotions. Finally, be sure to sign up to our new e-zine. Featuring articles of interest, some great discounts and the inside track on supporting your triathlon and endurance sport journey. Sign up over on the website. It takes 30 seconds and I promise I won't bombard your inbox with emails. Just the important stuff. Now that I have all the housekeeping out of the way, it's time to introduce this week's guest. Fellow Ironman announcer Robson Lindbergh from Finland. Robson suffered a brain injury during a hockey match in February 2016. The fun-loving, adventure-seeking, sports-mad athlete had his life changed forever on that day. His injuries from being body-checked included eight brain bleeds, including an 8 millimeter bleed. Robson had to relearn how to complete some of the most basic tasks we take for granted, including writing, talking and simply moving. Classified as having a traumatic brain injury, Robson vowed to become the world's best TBI patient with aspirations to race at the Ironman World Championships. It has been a difficult journey physically, emotionally and mentally, and despite some of the medical professionals giving him little hope of ever returning to a normal life, Robson has defied the odds to pursue his passion for sport and his insatiable appetite for life, crossing the finish line of Ironman Portugal in October 2074 days after his world almost stopped turning. I met Robson in Qashqai and was fascinated by his story, tenacity and sheer determination to never give up. We hit it off straight away, both of us full of chatter, Well, that is what happens when you put two announcers at the one table who had never met before. Paul Kay and DJ Dane Lee barely got a word in at the dinner table that night, honestly. Sometimes inspiration can come into your life at the most unusual of times and in an array of situations. And I know, I know, it's such a cliche to say, but Robson is the epitome of anything is possible. And although we only scratch the surface of what his road to recovery has been like in this chat, this is a super episode of the podcast. If you, like me, are fascinated by his story, be sure to check out his 8mm squad on www.8mmsquad.com. Now, go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Robson Lindbergh, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. I think you are my very first guest from Finland and also the only other announcer that's been on my show is Mike Riley.
1: Wow, thank you for having me. I mean... Okay, cool. So Finland, we don't have polar bears in Finland, even though people do think so, just to, you know, crush a myth anyway. Yeah. But it's it's funny because you weren't supposed to be in Portugal, were you?
0: No, I got a late call up to join Paul, Dane and the crew in Portugal for Qashqai.
1: Because I wasn't supposed to be in Portugal either. I was supposed to race Ironman Italy, which I bike bitched for a friend back in 2017 which is a flat course, which suits a person like me that weighs a lot and not like a mountain goat. So fate, you know, it's all good.
0: It's all good. So before we get into talking about your life and sport, how did you become a race announcer?
1: That is uh, a story I love to tell because I have a bachelor's in economics um, and I sold software, but then I got injured and I couldn't compete. Um, and in 2018, we'd had the, we had we we had the first 70.3 in Finland under the Ironman brand. And I told a friend that knew Antti, who is the um, husband of Tina, who's uh, the Ironman Finland nowadays person. Antti called me up like six weeks after I told my friend that you know if they need anyone in English that knows English just. You know, call me, and he called me up and he said, "Auntie's an awesome guy. He's 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 survived leukemia twice, so he doesn't have time for these um, normal pleasantries." So he went, "Hi, it's Auntie. I can't put you on the national broadcast feed for Iron Man Lahti, but I'll put you on the Ironman.com uh, live feed, and you're an expert commentator." And I went, "Okay," and he went, "Good. So that's that." And uh, I'll see you. And I went, wait, what? (laughs) When's the race? And he went, ah, the race is on Saturday. Come on Thursday. And he didn't ask me if I had any experience. He didn't ask me if I've done it before. He did not ask me if um, I thought it was a job because I didn't think it was a job. I thought I was doing it pro bono. And uh, suddenly it's Thursday before the race and we're sitting in a production meeting. And they were like, so quickly go around the table who has most experience and who has least experience of TV um, work. And someone went, well, I've got four years. And they went, oh, okay, yeah, yeah you're the rookie. Uh, and one guy went, well, I'm basically retired, but 36 years. And I sat there and I went, I think, you know, it's minutes for me. Um, and suddenly I was interviewing everyone, uh, the pros, you know, the the, the sponsors. And, and I, suddenly I sat in the studio And, uh, they went, you know, action and I, I had prepared for 30 hours. I actually watched formula one races and saw what the expert comment or listened to the expert commentator. And I wrote down stuff. I was like, okay, he's talking about tires. Okay. That's good. You know? And then after the first three pros had come over the finish line, I actually went out to the finish line and I asked till Schenk, if I can help and he said well yeah aki over there is doing something with the sound and you know you can come announce and i announced <laughs> and then after half an hour he asked me how long have you done this and i said 29 minutes and he went yeah yeah but like in general and i said yeah 29 minutes that's my uh, aggregate you know experience you know he asked me how much what what's my per per diem and 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 i said I literally looked up from the microphone and I put it down like this and I went so wait wait you get paid for this and then suddenly I was you know I was in Tallinn and then I met Mats from the European office and then yeah that's how I got into announcing
0: the rest is history yeah Yeah. a a baptism of fire
1: yeah so kids you do not need an education for your work
0: well you do you do (laughs) You just need to be able to talk and tell stories.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I remember, I remember sitting in the train going home from Lahti and I felt so content. And I remember talking to my mom. And my, I told my mom that if I never, ever get an announcement gig again, I'll be happy for the rest of my life anyway. It was like this calmness that I'd found, like I fitted in somewhere, you know?
0: What year was that, Robson?
1: That was 2018.
0: One of the reasons I have you on the show isn't because you're one of our race announcers for Ironman. It's actually because I was so intrigued by your story when I met you in Qashqash. Uh, We went for dinner on one of the, the first nights that we were there with Paul Kay and uh, DJ Dane Lee. And I got the first glimpse into a life with a traumatic brain injury I was intrigued with and fascinated by. And I was so in awe of the fact that you were taking on a full distance Ironman Thank when you. i heard that you had been through so much so rather than me try and talk about your story i want you to tell me what happened on the 8th of february 2016 and how your life has evolved since then
1: so to make a long story short
0: and now i do know we all talk an awful lot so yes keep it to like you know maybe that's, ten thousand words for the next that, 20
1: minutes that's what i'm gonna say uh, to make a long story short um it's, it's actually bad when you have two announcers because we can go up. We get paid to go on for 20 hours. Anyway, um, I was doing what I love, which is sports. Sports has been like, I've lived in five countries before I was 11. Um, and sports has been the way I communicate with people and the way I communicate with myself. And I was playing ice hockey and I got checked shoulder to shoulder and uh, my skates flew up towards the ceiling and my head hit the ice and um, I was unconscious for three minutes and, well, I got sent home from the hospital but, but um, what basically happened was that my brain shook inside my skull and my brain lobe shook independently. So 12 weeks after that, we found out that I had eight brain bleedings and uh, whiplash. I'm missing 20% of my corpus callosum and I've got a brain bleed in the front right lobe, which explains why I had to learn how to basically live, or like I had to learn everything again. But maybe the most tangible ones are I had to learn to crawl and write again. So yeah, I'm diagnosed with moderate to severe brain damage. And that's, that's, yeah
0: moderate to severe brain damage, uh, sent home from the hospital and it took 12 weeks for them to realize the impact of the damage that had happened. Um, you have been to hell and back basically in terms of getting to where you are today. So talk to me about, um, eight brain bleeds. What does that actually mean? To somebody who doesn't understand, what does it yeah, that's mean? That's a very
1: good question because it means a lot to a diff- lot of different people, right? Um, so um, it's not an aneurysm, but basically what it is, is when your brain starts going around in your head like a, ping- like a pinball, um, it hits the, the wall of the skull and then it gets basically bruised. And what happens when it gets bruised is that the synapses get destroyed. So basically, we can look at the brain as a blob of fat with electrical um, currents in the skull that then connect to everything in your body, our skull in a normal state is surrounded by water. And then there's a thin, 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 um, empty space. And then there's your skull. And then when it starts bouncing around, it bleeds if, if it hits hard enough. So that's basically what it means. And in the case of the corpus callosum, when that's basically what um, connects the right and the, the left brain lobe, since that they've moved independently, that's where it kind of it ruptured for me, or like the, the brain bleedings happened. To.
0: You, you mentioned having to learn how to crawl and to to basically to, to talk as well from, from reading your blogs, you to learn how to talk and to, to, to read and, and to write and everything again. Um, so talk me through what the immediate aftermath of the brain bleeds were in terms of the physical uh aspects of the injury
1: i mean it's not the first time i injured myself i mean i've broken a vertebrae in my back and i've broken like both of my thumbs and my nose and all that kind of stuff i mean it's not the first time and 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 being an athlete i think you can (laughs) you can actually attest to this is that you go no i'm fine And then there's the reaction, well, you know, I don't have a bruise, so everything's fine. But I couldn't recognize my mom when she came to get me from the hospital. And that was the first alarm for my mom. But I didn't, you know, because I did the sports concussion assessment tool, which is um, a a PDF of, of what the symptoms are. And they're like these kind of vague symptoms where you feel like you're in a fog and so on. And I did that three weeks later. And that's when I noticed how bad it was. So the morning after I, I slept in my parents' house because of a concussion, you have to be, you know, um, uh, supervised. And I couldn't get my, I couldn't drink because my, my coordination was so off and I couldn't get uh, my um, breakfast spoon in my mouth either. And uh, we went back to the hospital and they said, no, everything's fine. But it kept deteriorating and deteriorating. And, and it, it was so bad that I slept everywhere every between 16 and 20 hours per day. And uh, I actually, nine days after I got injured, I went for a 20K run. And everything felt normal, except I was so tired. I, was, I was, I'd never been so tired in my life two weeks after I found myself in Helsinki where I live in Finland in the middle of the street, not knowing who I was or where I was going to go. And I Googled myself to, to my office that I worked for then. Um, and then, then as time went on and I got to speak to certain people that knew stuff about brain injuries, all my symptoms that I thought, or all the things that I thought were wrong with me, turned out to be symptoms of brain damage so um the dizziness uh the headaches the fatigue um the aches in my body the fact that i couldn't feel my right side of my body as well as my left side which is interesting because although i'm left-handed i've always been stronger on the right side coordination (laughs) couldn't walk um and and i and 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 i could only have one light on at once at home uh and uh, I had a huge panic attack when I went to the grocery store because there was so much color in the, in the milk section um, and all these people around you. And yeah, yeah. And then for like the first three weeks, I slept 20 hours if I just could. And then after that, it kind of turned like a light switch and I only slept one hour or maybe an hour and a half, two per night because uh, the central nervous system is fixing itself so it doesn't allow you to sleep. So that's kind of what it meant. I went from being a huge extrovert to an introvert. Yeah.
0: And how did they finally diagnose that you had a brain injury?
1: So I, I did a CT scan. And that showed, to quote them, a a change, somewhere between the skull and the brain. But they said that had gone away the day after. And then I, I knew something was off all the time. I just knew it. And luckily, one of my dad's friend's son Who i also know is an orthopedic surgeon and he put me in contact with a bunch of or two two key people and i went to one of the neurolog one of these guys he was a neurologist the other one was a physical therapist and the other one was an osteopath and they're like kind of these the holy trinity i mean people come from the nhl and they come from the khl and everywhere around the world to meet these guys in finland because they're so good and i went to the to the doctor Uh, to the neurologist. And he told me that we need to know what is wrong with you. So we need to put you in an MRI scan. And uh, he said that what I'm going to do now is I'm going to write a plan. And if I write a plan and sign it as a neurologist, they have to take this into account. And this was the private sector and I was being treated in the public sector. And then I went with this note to the Brain Damage Clinic in Helsinki, Brain Damage and Rehabilitation Clinic in Helsinki. It's a very uplifting name. Uh, <laughs> and um, that neurologist looked at that piece of paper and he 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 almost verbatim, he said, ah, okay, so you're one of those guys that knows better than us. And um, then he went, fucking fine, we'll just do it. Um, and then then they scanned me. And that's when when they found out the extent of the damage. And I remember I went into the MRI scan, and at that point I kind of knew I couldn't write. But it wasn't my first time in an MRI scan, right? I think it was my thirtieth time or something like that. I mean, it's not my first rodeo. Um, And I went in, and the nurse gave me the, the the form to fill in, you know, are you pregnant? And do you have tattoos and any metal in your body and so on? And I told her, I said, look, um, how about we just speed this up? So you write down what I tell you um, while I change. And she was like, what? And I said, yeah, yeah, I know that form by heart. And I just read everything to her by heart. um, And it was because I was so ashamed that I couldn't write. So I kind of forced her to write. Um, And then when I, when I got in the MRI scan, she said, okay, well, you know um, what's going to happen is we're going to put you in there for an hour. Um, And then I said, I want to listen to this radio station. And she went fine. And then uh, afterwards she said, okay, well, the doctor will call you, but you know, there's nothing, anything wrong ever with these things. Um, So he's not going to call you anyway. There's nothing to be worried about. And I went home and it was a Wednesday And nothing happened on on Thursday. And I went, oh, okay, cool. And then on Friday, I got a phone call. And I remember exactly where I was in my apartment. And he went, the doctor went, it's neurologist, this and this. Do you have time to talk about your eight brain bleedings? And that's when it fucking hit you like a ton of bricks. You know, you sit down. I, I remember I sat down and I went, what the fuck? And he was really cool. We talked about it for forty-five minutes because he had done. There's this long-standing triathlon in Finland called Joroinen that's been around since 1983, and he'd done it a few times. And he told me, in terms of what it meant to have a brain bleedings, what it meant for you in a triathlon. You know, he went bleeding by bleeding, point by point, and just said that, you know, you're you're going to have trouble processing information. You know, you're going to be stronger on the other side. You're going to have headaches. You're going to be tired your entire life. Um, in a very calm, sophisticated, and educated way, uh, without being Doctor Doom, he was. He was. He was conversational. He told me to basically just pack it in. He said that people don't come back from this. And I said, fine. You know, that was his point of view. And then he said something like, well, at least it's very hard. And I said, okay. And I thanked him and then I hung up. But I'd already started the process. I mean, I already, you know, I already decided to become the world's best traumatic brain injury patient and to win the world championships in Ironman. So that was just another piece of information. I had I, I learned to write by that point, I taught myself to write. I translated a friend's children's book, and I had to do it by hand because I couldn't look at the computer because it's so bright so yeah so it's, it's like it's like, okay, well you know uh th- those are a list of <laughs> of symptoms you know, just fucking you know take a lumber and get in line, and I'll deal with you as they come you know
0: <laughs> so so what did you do, Robson to to actually get to where you are now, I mean, I know it's detailed very well on your 8MM squad uh, website, which we can, I would highly recommend that people go and actually have a, a read of that and a couple of those blogs there as to, to the level of it learning you had to go through again to get to where you are today. But like in a, in a brief synopsis, I guess, which is kind of hard to do because it's such a long road, you know, what were the basic things that you had to do again?
1: And this is such a good question because it all boils down to rewiring your brain, right? So the brain's plastic. If that part right there dies and you know about it, that part can actually take over and learn how to do it. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll be tireder, but anyway, we, we know that the quad muscle is like a bunch of muscles. If you just take one muscle out, you know, you can probably still run, but you know, and the most important thing is to have a team of people around you that they necessarily don't believe in what you're doing (laughs) because they think you're a fucking idiot (laughs) in a good way, but they're ready to see how far we can go. And I had that. I had a physical therapist, an osteopath, and that neurologist. And actually the physical therapist, he was the most important in this. And he went, okay, let's rewire your brain. So, um, We started out by me on a spin bike, stationary spin bike, 10 minutes every other day. And every two weeks, we'd add two minutes, heart rate below 120. And I felt like shit afterwards. It was only 10 minutes, but I felt like crap. And my dad had to drive me to the gym and then drive me back because I couldn't walk because I would get so tired otherwise. And then we did that for like, I don't know, I think it was until we started in March, And I got to 40 minutes in October, where we added one minute of raised heart rate to 130. And we did that for like 14 months. And then I swam in the pool, 100 meters, and then I added 100 meters every other day. And then in 2017, in August, I started running, I ran the distance between two light posts. And then I added a distance every time until I got to a kilometer. And then I added 100 meters every time. So basically, that's what we did. That was the kind of physical thing. Then I did, uh, I I looked at a laser pointer. I uh, actually had my hockey stick and my hockey uh, and a ball. And I kind of um, tried to get my eyes to work together. My left eye, had shook so violently in my head when it hit the ice that my nerves were damaged. I had the equivalence of a 75 year old sight when we started. And then then I learned to juggle. I had a friend, uh, he's a friend nowadays, and he taught me to juggle with three balls. And then I learned to juggle with four eventually. Yeah, I learned to write. Um, and then, you know, you just kind of gradually pile everything on. And then I learned how to pay my own bills. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pay. And this is, this is the dark side of brain damage, right? So I didn't pay a single bill for eight months because I didn't know what it was until my mom came into my apartment and looked at and she went, that thing has just gotten higher, that stack of bills. And I went, yeah, they keep sending those things. And she was like, you haven't opened anything? And I went, I don't think so. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the compressed version of it.
0: I suppose from a physical perspective, you know, you had a lot of physical things you had to relearn. But from an emotional and a mental perspective, it must have been horrendous. And that thing of waking up in the hospital bed and recognizing your mom, but not really knowing who she was or why she was familiar. And I can't even imagine how tough it was but I'd be interested to know whether the physical side or the mental side was tougher
1: to get through. That's that's one of the best questions I've ever been asked because as a guy and as someone who grown up in like a yeehaw cowabunga, I mean, I used to drive motocross snowmobiles and like, and, and you know, you strike
0: me as a type of person that was a totally crazy dude, totally extroverted, the life and soul of the party. And if there was noise being made, you'd be like me, you'd be the one in the corner making the most of the noise and jumping on the tables. Uh, <laughs> Would that be uh, good? <laughs> good? That's from, from a former life, of course. I'm much more respectable now.
1: That's, uh, yeah. And that's why I respect you. Um, and it's interesting because... Crazy is always a matter of perspective, isn't it? Uh, so, you know, when I, I was 12, when I crashed my first snowmobile into a tree.
0: And I don't mean crazy in a in a derogatory term. I mean, it no. as in like a, a fun loving mad, like go out and have great crack and be the, the, I mean, the, the center is, of the fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it's not like I tried to be it. It's just how I was, you know how it is. I mean, it's just, you know, you're, you're, I mean, yeah, actually <laughs> we sat at my friend's place and played poker once. We were four guys. And I was there because my friend had broken his foot or some leg or something. And you know, we were we weren't even drinking that much and we just played poker. And suddenly the police knocks on the door and goes, We've gotten complaints from from the <laughs> from 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 the neighbors that you guys have a party in here. And <laughs> my friend went, just come and look at it. And he went, it's this guy. And then he points at me. And I was like, yep, <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway. Um, so yeah, um, that that's kind of the way I was. And still, it, it's an interesting thing. Because when, when you have that view on life, everything is possible, right? Until it's not. And then you just go, okay, well, let's try the next thing. And when you grow up in a world like that, where you definitely have friends and good friends that you've been through the... I mean, like we we had one example where where we had a broken down snowmobile in minus 25. And I mean, you get kind of close with your friend then because you're literally, you're freezed, especially when you're drenched in sweat and so on. But I thought I was immune to the psychological illnesses. And you're not. No one is. And it's interesting because... Uh, you get busy physically. It's a bit like when someone dies and you see that one person that starts organizing the funeral. And then when the funeral is over, they completely break down. And that I was the person organizing the funeral, so to say, and I didn't care about my... I didn't know how to care about my mental health. But what I got was a reactive mental illness, and that's because of the trauma that changed my body. I was 30, and I couldn't, I couldn't crawl or write. And I sat December of 2016. I sat a psychiatrist, and my psychiatrist, the second time she, I saw her, she went, there's something wrong with you, but I can't put my finger on it. And I went, well, just you know, read my blogs and whatever, and, and it's all good. And she read my blogs. And then I came to the third time, and she went, why do you write in third person? And I said, you know, that's, a, that's such a good question because that way they can sit next to me on my shoulder and watch this. And it's better from, a, from a, a point of view for the reader. And she went, is it? And I went, yeah, yeah. And she went, she went, have you ever written down that I am brain damaged? And again, it's like someone hitting you with a shovel in the face. And I went, No. And she forced me to write it down and i broke down completely because i had done this for 8 months i had called myself the world's best traumatic brain injury patient i'm going to win the world championships in ironman i'm going to do this i'm going to do that i've you know gone here and there and that just opened the floodgates for 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 a decline of mental health which had been there already and then you know you spiral into depression and which is all normal but for me the most devastating part was when I noticed how big of a toll it's taken on my family. And that was for me, you can do whatever you want to me, put me through whatever. But to notice how much my family had agonized and worried and all that over me is something I still can't fathom, but it was a very hard pill to swallow.
0: And how did your mom and dad react to the situation initially with the brain damage and the injuries and basically going back to almost being a baby and being nearly 100% reliant on them?
1: Um, My mom's always been very pragmatic. So she helped me through a lot of this, but it was a blow for my dad. Um, it was a blow because I'm the oldest, right? And we've always done everything together. He's done snowmobiling. He's done you know, car racing and so on, and especially yacht racing. And for him, it was really tough to see me go from being uh, eventually better at him than at all these things. And so it was tough for him. But it brought us closer. But he had a hard time with it, like all men, especially of that age, do. And then it it took a toll on my brother and my sister, too. And luckily, it brought the family together. And they never accused me of anything. Because that's what happens often to um, a lot of the times when you look at a concussion, there's nothing on the CT scan, the MRI scan, or whatever. And then people think you're actually faking it to get attention um, because it's so intangible, you know? Um, but my family stayed strong and, and and helped me all the way.
0: And there, it's not all doom and gloom amidst all of what we're talking about, because you no. do have a beautiful new baby. I do. Who I, I have an awesome
1: girl. I have an also <laughs> girlfriend too. She's actually, she's even cooler than the baby because of all the stuff she's, of all the shit she puts up with. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> of all the shit she puts up with <laughs> that I put her through. But yeah, yeah, I do.
0: So She's when did a, you meet her?
1: You know, I met her. Um, I met her a week before Ironman 70.3 Lofty. Or actually, I think it was that Tuesday that cause I was, yeah, yeah. It was the same week. So Sometimes we spend our anniversary, me at work, and she somewhere else. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah.
0: Perfect relationship. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And your new baby is only 12 weeks old.
1: Yes. She was born on the 20th of August 2021, which everyone in triathlon knows as the day before Ironman Copenhagen. No, sorry, two days before Ironman Copenhagen. Copenhagen is a Sunday race, yeah. I went from seeing my baby for the first time via a WhatsApp video call to interviewing Lionel Sanders and Cameron Worf four hours later.
0: That's <laughs> not so bad.
1: It's not bad at all.
0: <laughs> it's not bad at all. Um, I, I do want to come back and ask, you know, what, what did you do for your mental health to, to pull yourself back out of the darkness?
1: That's the question that should be talked about. And I, I always say that you can resolve everything by talking. And that's basically what I did. Talk, 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 talk. It doesn't matter if it was with my mom or if it was with a friend or, or especially peer support, right? So you get friends that have the same thing and and then you can link their parents with your parents. And well, first of all, I do not understand how psychologists get on because uh, there's nothing better than seeing a person once a week offloading all your shit onto someone else and then not having to you know, deal with them or your shit for another week until you go there. But psychologists, neuropsychologists, which is really important. So the neuropsych, I didn't know they existed before this, but neuropsychologists, their uh, task is to map out uh, the extent of your brain injury in your everyday life. And how, kind of, to, to see what you were, to what you are, and how you can progress, and to get, um, to get the patient to understand their momentary limitations, their mom- momentary limitations they have momentarily, and then to see what kind of doesn't evolve, and then when they're because brain damage patient often, TBI patients often do too much without noticing it. And then they come with a 36 to 48 hour delay. And you're kind of left like, well, what the hell now? I mean, like, cause you don't remember what you did specifically. So a lot of journaling and then talking. And then, I mean, the blogs, they were great. Um, and I started talking about it. You know, I started doing uh, speaking engagements um, and then I get to talk in schools I've spoken in about, I think, 60 schools in Finland now. Um, And then they kind of go hand in hand where I jumped the gun on one, but it caught up later, is physical rehab. That was a big thing for mental health and actually doing something, you know? So, yeah. And And that's why sports is so important for me.
0: And I was just literally about to say Mm -hmm. to you how important... Was it to have the goal of getting back to sport? Because you started this chat by saying everything. that sport was everything.
1: Everything. So <laughs> someone once said, I don't have a problem if you aim high and miss, but if you aim low and hit, that's when I get annoyed. And also I've heard this very cool thing, which I, I try to remember to say it in school, but don't be upset with the results you don't get from the work you didn't do. So I basically put my life on hold for 2074 days because that's what it took me from 2016 in February to Iron Man And I just went, fuck it. I'm gonna put all on actually, since it's Iron Man, it's red and black, but you know, I'm gonna put everything on red in the casino and just gonna see if this thing works. And then Jeff Bezos said it really well, you know, you kind of want to project yourself to being in a rocking chair when you're age 80. And if, you know, do I regret not doing this? And I'd regret doing it. And then it becomes, it becomes this, it's it's a game. I mean, it's a game. It's like, okay, well, now we've got the writing nailed. By the way, my handwriting is still terrible, but that's a different thing. Then we got, you know, we got, okay, so now I can do 20 minutes on the bike you know, now I can do 40 and now I can do that. And now I can do that. And then you kind of piece it together, you know, and then the people you meet on the way and yeah.
0: The road to Ironman, kashkash How did you get there? And well, I don't mean by plane.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> I took the plane. That's what Kimi Räikkönen would say. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Then you get into a car, you know, anyway. um, So um it, it's, it's interesting because when I look back and I get a question like that, it's well everything that I've just talked about. But at some point, you realize that my life took a really interesting turn, and that was 2018 in Lofty when I started working for Ironman. I still couldn't believe I would work for them anyway, but but um, but then, then you know, in 2019 in October. That's when I got the green light from everyone, including Steena, to actually do an Ironman.
0: Steena being your long-suffering girlfriend.
1: Yes, yes, yes. My um, smarter half. Uh, and by the way, I hope to God that someday our baby will start looking more like Steena because she looks like me at the moment. And that's not a blessing. Anyway, and then we're like, okay, well, well, I spoke to my coaches. We have the 8 millimeter squad, which is actually an acronym for my biggest brain bleeding uh, which was eight millimeters in diameter, um, and we had put together a coaching environment for a few friends. And I started talking to them like, "Okay, well, you know, um, it's pretty clear that I'm a heavy guy. I mean, I weigh 85 kilos, and, and I'm not a mountain goat. So, you know, we should look at a flat race." And we're okay. Well, I went cool. Um, so that would be Ironman Italy. Um, because I've been there. I can visualize everything. I can visualize the start. I can visualize the bike. I can visualize, you know, I know there's a certain place where I still have it in my head. I'm going to do it someday, but there's a certain, you know, loop you have in the, in the city where you pass the hotel. And anyway, and, um, and that was 2019, you know, and then we went to Bali in 2020, somewhere in January, you come back and then, you know, mid March, you kind of get out your calendar. You're like, well, just erase everything, you know, from the calendar. And you're like, fuck that. Um, (laughs) That was 2020 kind of gone. I actually announced the only full distance Ironman in Tallinn in 2020. There was one. And I announced that. And, and then, um, and then I went like, okay, well, you know, pandemic, we kind of have to have a different goal. And then we came up with the uh, stupid seven, Um, seven Everest things in seven days in seven countries. And that kept me kind of occupied. Um, And that was also a good test for how, you know, if I can actually do it. And then, um, you know, when things started looking up in early 2021, I registered Fireman Italy and uh, I was fortunate enough to announce enough races and it was actually the Ironman Copenhagen race hotel where I met the guys from Ironman Sweden and they went you're Robson and I went yes I am and they went well you're hired for Jönköping and I went well that's on the same date as I'm supposed to be racing and they said well you know we know a few guys from Ironman so I think we can take care of that (laughs) and then they moved me to Portugal and then then I was there and and this summer has been really cool because it was really warm in Finland already from April onwards, right? So I got to do a lot on the bike, and then Cervelo sponsored me with a TT bike, and uh, the local guys from Hube sponsored me with a wetsuit, and then I got a BioRacer deal, and 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 then Amp Human jumped in, and AeroFit, and Bearbells. and you know suddenly your race suit looks pretty cool because you got a bunch of logos on it. And you get a ton of help from everyone. And then, you know, um, a local optician chain sponsored me so I get I can fix my Oakley addiction. And yeah, and that's, you know, and then you just go piece by piece, you know, you just do training session by training session. I and don't know what, if I answered your question. No, you didn't,
0: but we, gave, we got a good name check in for all your sponsors, so it's fine.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. but so what was the question? How, how, how did I how get? You, to- how did
0: you get to uh, Ironman iron man Portugal. Okay. So we we'll, we we'll, we we'll, we kind of know that you did loads of training and it got your training done. You did the stupid seven project, and I'm going to tell people to watch the YouTube documentary on that because that didn't end up being the seven uh, Everestings in seven countries because of COVID. But you set a new finish record in that by completing 906 kilometers in 56 hours is is that right part of that project so we'll direct people to 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 go to that because i i am conscious that we are coming towards uh, nearly the end of the podcast but um coming back to portugal what was it like standing on the start line
1: holy hell (sighs) that's the that's one of the most surreal Feelings I have ever had. I had one goal with all my training, and that was to work with someone, with people that get me to feel calm on race morning. Because with with the coaches I have, I know that I've done it enough. Um, and it's interesting because I actually, I, Joanne, I'm an announcer, and guess what I did? I misplaced my chip, my timing chip.
0: Your timing chip must go on your left ankle. Don't there's, your there's video of me
1: putting it on being a snotty little idiot going this is i'm preaching what i'm you know i'm you know i'm doing what i preach and then i put it in my back pocket on my tri suit and i thought i lost it until i came out of the swim and i found it anyway um race morning you kind of just stand there and you go fuck i'm here And then you go, you go, you go, this has gone so fast. And then you go, whoa, wait a minute. It is not. It's been hell and high water. And then suddenly I just I kept hearing Paul's voice. And I went, I need to say hi to Paul. And I climbed up on the stone wall and I saw him. And I just, for some reason, I saluted him. Dane saluted me, or first Dane, and then Paul. And then I went, I stood in the one hour to 105 section. I think 105, 110, anyway. And I know that that as soon as the gun goes off, a a switch flips in my head. And then it's kind of like go, and then it's a different mental state I'm in. But I cried. I just, I stood there and I saw kind of my goggles fill up a bit. And I went... Huh. Here we go. Fuck. <laughs> um, Everyone
0: has that reaction though.
1: Yeah, yeah. The yeah, yeah, I know, but I went fuck here come the emotions. Just whatever. And I'd been I'd been emotional 2-3 weeks leading up in training. And yeah. And it just felt it felt like a huge relief and I felt like I was ready.
0: Did you feel like you had nothing to lose and everything to gain by taking on that race?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit competitive. Really? Yeah, I might be. I raced my toothbrush for two years. <laughs> um, yeah, I was supposed to know when it's time to switch. You know, when the timer goes without looking at anything, I was supposed to click my fingers. It took me two years to. Anyway. Um. There was this this part in me that every time I race, there's like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm home. I, I love the Ironman distance because it's such a honest distance. You can't fake it at any point. If you go too hard at some point, you'll pay for it later. I just felt at home. And then it hit me. I went, wait a minute. The guy on the microphone... Is someone I know. And then I went, and yesterday I met Joanne, and I met DJ Dane, and these are colleagues. And I went, Holy fuck. I've not only, you know, done physical rehab, but I've kind of reinvented myself. And there's no way I'm going back to selling software. <laughs> 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 And then the gun goes off and then I just love racing. And I love, I mean, cause I don't race anyone but myself, you know?
0: You only had the small matter of 140.6 miles of racing before <laughs> you could make your way onto the magic carpet to the words from the way. A.
1: Can I, can I just say one thing? If you're looking to set a course record and you're as heavy as I am, Gosh, gosh, is a beautiful place, but don't go there for a personal best. <laughs> that that thing is not rolling, and it's not flat. The run, I'll tell you that, but it's an honest course.
0: It's a fun course.
1: It is, and, and the finish to... line was rocking. Holy hell, that was actually that was one of the first races where we got to experience that mass. Audience that we've had, you know, and it's so cool because Iron Man takes over the entire place where we're at, and you know you see the Iron Man stuff going up gradually, and then you see the guys, the girls come in with their bikes, and everyone's got their stuff on and their compression and that, and then the the families start coming in, and and then and then the locals and yeah, so it yeah, and then you get to the finish line. And that's when I lost it. I kind of lost it in the downhill already. So I got superstitious suddenly. Um, The last aid station was at 41 and a half kilometers or something. And I went, I got at 40 kilometers. I went, I got this. Okay. I got, that was the first time I thought I got this. And then I went, you know, whatever. Uh, Let's just go. Um, I don't have to stop at the aid station. I'm just going to go. And then when I came to the aid station, I went, wait a minute. Don't get cocky. So I had some water and everything. And then I came to the magic carpet, that red carpet that I've been on so many times. And I went, wait a minute. That's sacred ground. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to step on it. And I felt like I had to, you know, do something. And I went, well, I kind of earned it because I've done the race. And I started the morning by saluting Dane and, and, uh, and, and Paul. And I come down and I hear Paul talking and, and Dane actually playing the song I chose, ACDC, For Those About to Rock, We Salute You. And I just stopped in front of the carpet, which is a big gamble because you might not be able to start running again. But I just stopped and I saluted. And then I felt, okay, now I've honored the, the finish line. Now I can step onto the carpet. And then the water work started. I just lost it for 15, 20 minutes straight. I just cried my eyes out.
0: But you are an Ironman. Yeah. And considering the 2074 days it took from the date of the injury to crossing that finish line, what are you most proud of and most grateful for today?
1: All the support because you can't do it without that. And that just always makes me, you know, you just, just because no one can do anything alone. And I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't in the country when our daughter was born and my family have put everything aside, you know, to take care of me. I mean, my dad would drive me anywhere at any hour. My brother came to get me once from the hospital, Where i was suicidal at like 11 in the night and they have families and stuff to do i had a doctor believe in me in another town in turku in finland a physical therapist over there the osteopath the the, just the people that said that look we know how much trouble it is to because my insurance company didn't compensate me because I had to sue them to get conversation. So for the first two years, I got, you know, a lot of treatments for free, you know, and there's like, from auntie giving me the chance, to Till giving the microphone, to mud's taking a chance on me, to Paul wanting to work with me in Finland, and to that one lady who on the second lap of... <laughs> the, the Iron Man <laughs> run looked at me and went ah you're Robson from Finland I was there thank you for announcing and I was like what the hell is that you know Um, I mean it's just you can't do anything alone you know
0: and when you look back to your life pre February 2016 And you look at it now. Do you think you would have achieved everything that you've done if life hadn't taken such a bumpy turn?
1: So this is what I say. It's actually funny because I got home from Panama on the 4th or 5th of February. And then I think it was on the 8th when someone asked me what I want to do in life and I said, I want to change the world and you know, people go, well, how? And it's like, well, I don't know. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's by far the most painful shit (laughs) I have been through, but it's given me a chance to show myself what i can do as long as i keep myself accountable
0: and what are the outcomes for the future what are the plans
1: um so now i'm free now i've done my iron man now i've done my iron man which means that there's a huge weight off my shoulders now you now, just need to
0: qualify for the world championships
1: exactly so that's my plan for next year um, and I might do it a bit smarter next year to actually race before the announcing season. <laughs> and if anyone knows how to get a baby to sleep a bit longer, I'd be ha- more than happy to.
0: White noise on the turbo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do turboing through the entire night. <laughs> I have a few, I, I have I have this bucket list I want to do in the North Pole marathon. I want to do the, you know, Great. Wall of China marathon I want to do ultra distances running and I want to do the race across Americas I want to announce like every Ironman in the world um I love doing these kind of things podcasts and I love speaking in schools and hopefully you know in the future I have a few world records and stuff like that
0: And from a health perspective what's the prognosis you know for 10 years 20 years down the line
1: Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question because the only thing that doesn't seem to get better is the fatigue, the tiredness, and then the fact that if I have to write in front of a computer, I get so tired after an hour and a half, an hour, that if I do that many days in a row, I can't get up from bed. You know, you have to reinvent yourself to get something that can pay the bills without having to sit in front of the computer.
0: And that's why announcing is so good because you're outside. Yes, we do have a lot of work to do behind the scenes on laptops and all that kind of stuff. But by comparison to a Monday to Friday, nine to five job, it's minimal.
1: Yeah. I mean, there is no way without at gunpoint you can get me into a nine to five job anymore. (laughs) Besides, I suck at it because I used to work for a credit card company, Visa here, and I just broke the rules all the time. I mean, I've, I've, I I've literally biked to give a, a customer a credit card once. and They went, that is not cool. And I went, well, she was in a hurry. So, you know, and I like the bike. So what's the problem? And they went, we have, the, it has to be sent by m- mail because there's this security thing. And I went, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever. <laughs>
0: so maybe we need to get you to ireland to race oh,
1: hell yeah i love that
0: Wh- what are you doing on the 14th of august next year
1: oh that's finland oh
0: we have a 70.3 and a full distance race in ireland
1: so you want me to do the both
0: well we can choose <laughs> one or the other
1: <laughs> i was actually thinking about doing two like a full distance and a half distance that would be pretty good um
0: maybe you could do that in kashkaish next year and oh, do the 70.3 yeah. and the full could you imagine I know a guy who's actually doing the 70.3 in Swansea on the 7th of August and then he is going to Ireland and he is doing the half and the full. His name is Russell Williams from Wales and he loves the fact that I've just given him a, a massive shout out. What did yeah, you say the his name was? Russell him. Williams? Russell Williams from Wales.
1: Big shout out to you, dude. You are mental in a very good way and I salute you. I salute <laughs> you, sir. <laughs> I've seen uh, Luis Alvarez do Colomar and then he came down to Copenhagen to do that. And then he did, I think it was Mallorca, and then he flew to Chattanooga that night. So I want to start racing all of these things, you know? Like for next year, I'm definitely looking for a boring course where you can like basically see the entire 180 kilometers, you know, that way because it's so flat.
0: Well, uh, Robson, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. As I said to you, and I. When I met you I was fascinated by your story and then reading your blogs. Congratulations on all you've achieved. I can't wait to see you uh, qualify for Kona, set Thank a few you. records and I'm going to look forward to following all of your progress and hopefully someday, Iron Ironman will put us together on the microphone. I was just going to say in the
1: world. I was just going to say like I, this is for me what Ironman is all about, right? I mean cuz we hit it off directly, you know? Like it was it was it was the same loud (laughs) energy which i just love and then you talked to me about your bike races and i went yeah this is cool this is a cool chick um so i can't wait to get to work together you know and this is this is what i love about iron man that we actually connect people around the entire globe so thank you it's been an absolute motherfucking pleasure to be on the podcast (laughs) Thank you. And
0: that's where we landed. end <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I'd love to connect on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by, say hi, let me know what you think of the show. Pop a review on our Facebook page or on Apple Podcasts if you so desire. We'd love to hear from you. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both impressed and inspired by our guests. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember, keep looking for fun and adventure in every day.